Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and we are headed into our next section of Nephi and his most exciting versions of Isaiah. So we're actually on part five. I think we're on part five. So we're going to do Second Nephi chapter 15, the song in the vineyard, next. All right, friends. Well, I have a confession to make. Yep, uh, another nerdy confession from Lori, but... I have been a huge fan of Broadway musicals for pretty much my whole life. So I know it's not super popular, but I love the Broadway musical. And there's something um, so touching and poignant and just brings me to tears. But it is kind of ridiculous. I'm sure you've all seen them or you've seen a Disney uh, movie where characters are walking around talking and have a normal adventure. And then they suddenly pause and they stop and they break into song, you know, like we all do. Well, <laughs> some reason that is so appealing to me because it just evokes so much emotion. It can communicate so much and just packed into a, a tiny few minutes of song. So those songs, whether they're sad, like a lament or a ballad or a love song or joy or a silliness, they just immediately put in the emotion and the, the vision and the just takes me right there. I think that same idea is why you see so many poems in scripture. Now, you probably, um, like me, weren't that aware that there was that much poetry because the way our King James Bible is formatted is that it doesn't have verses. I mean, when you see poetry in English, it's always like indented and then you see like the weird little paragraphs. And so you know, hey, this is a poem. And it's even broken up so that you can see when things rhyme and, and how the, the kind of the stanzas go together, like a hymn book. You know that each one's a stanza and then when you get to the chorus and it kind of repeats. Well, it's like a poem. Well, in the Bible, when the Old Testament writers and New Testament writers wrote, they didn't even have punctuation for the most part. So they just wrote in long kind of run on sentences and punctuation was created later. So that's a little bit interpretive. Where do you break it? Um, and then you got to think making chapter breaks is also interpretive. So chapter and verse. And so there are a lot of different um, versions of scripture where you can actually see uh, the the paragraphs and things broken up like we have in modern English. So it'll be paragraphs instead of verses, and it will be poems. Chapter uh, 15 of Second Nephi, or chapter 5 of Isaiah, is basically a long poem. And, and the first thing we have to ask ourselves is why? Why? Why, just like the Broadway musical, does it go from just telling a story, which we've been talking about, and then it stops, 
then it breaks into a poem. Why use a poem? It's it's distracting. It's weird. It makes me stop and think, and I'm confused. And so let's take a breath. Let's look at it so when we go into it, you can really digest what's going on. Well, first, just like we said with Broadway musicals, I think the first thing is it expresses a lot in a small amount of space. It also can express different layers. So just like a song where it has a metaphor or a symbol and you say, oh, you know, uh, roses are red and violets are blue or, or some my love is like a never ending sea or whatever you want to say. You you ponder that or you like that phrase. And we use them a lot. Um, actually, we use a lot of metaphorical language in English. And so it expresses a lot in a small amount of time. So there's there's one thing. It also can communicate emotion. So you'll see a lot more emotion communicated that way. And so when you get to poems, you just say, hey, there's something deeper. There's something emotion. Additionally, there's something interesting that I wanted to point out of when you see poetry being used. In the Old Testament, especially, about 99% of the time, whenever God is speaking, you guessed it, it's in a poem. So ask yourself, why is that? Why is God speaking in a poem or in kind of a song form rather than just in narrative or prose or just talking or commanding? Why is it like that? I think because it's trying to communicate something deeper. So obviously when God is speaking, it's there's a lot going on. It's profound. It's deep. There's emotion. There are multiple layers. It's trying to communicate much more impactful language than just uh, a sentence or a command. So when we get to Isaiah, and again, the Lord is going to speak in part of this, it's going to be a poem. So a couple things to know. Um, so that's kind of why I think poetry is used and when it's used. But then I think there's also some structure to it that's a little bit different. When we do English poems, they rhyme and they have meter and rhyme and they have all kinds of like iambic pentameter and all those things you learned about in high school. Hebrew poetry isn't like that. Hebrew poetry is very different. And let me tell you a few clues for how you can understand Hebrew poetry. The first one is that it it has um, kind of a rhythm to it. And the rhythm is just a simple line. So the line is going to be short. And so you're going to see it's like a small sentence, three to five words a lot of times. And it will just say, like, his arm is outstretched still. So you'll kind of see it's a, it's a clause, like a subordinate clause, or a very small sentence. So you're just going to get this little plunk, little chunk of information, right? His arm is outstretched still. Um, also, you probably noticed they're very terse. They're very short. So they're very short, brief sentences. It's going to communicate um, bam, 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 bam. So you're going to see uh, short, brief, concise. The third one that you see the most is kind of a parallel. It is extensive in Hebrew poetry. So you see a lot of lines. So it'll be two lines together. Let me pull up 2 Nephi 15 and just share one of them. And once you start to see them, you'll see them everywhere. So in 2 Nephi 15 verse 5, it's very short and it goes like this. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I know, so you don't know what's going on. This is about a vineyard. And the Lord's giving instructions. And here's the two lines. Here are the two lines. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. So did you catch where it's two parallel lines there? 
the first line is, I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And the second line is, and I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Can you see how it's almost exactly the same? It even says, I will do this thereof, and then I shall do this. I will do this, and then I will do this. So two lines. So that's kind of its parallel structure. Now what happens with those parallel structures is that it's going to try to get you to, it's developing an idea. It's drawing you in to the story. Of this one, it's not just like, I have a vineyard, and I'm going to take away the wall. I'm going to break it down. It's not just a story. It's going to build on it. And sometimes it will build on it by deepening it. In this case, it said, I will take the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. Then it says almost the exact same thing again, right? I will break down the wall, and it shall be trodden down. It's deepening by giving us the same idea. Sometimes it will actually uh, do a contrast. It'll do kind of the two opposites. So it would be like, I will build it up, and then I will build, break it down. It would, might do contrasting. But it you'll see them. We saw it in the very original where it was uh, talking about um, the mountain of the Lord's house. And it will be like, his law will come forth from uh, Zion, and his word will come forth from Jerusalem. Law, word, Zion, Jerusalem. See the parallels? So it's deepening. So what it's going to do on these poetries is it's going to have us savor the idea it's not going to be something you blow through quickly. You're, it's it's almost like you want to savor it like a, a delicious bite of food. You're going to put it in your mouth and really just savor on it for a minute. Also wants to kind of explore it. You want to ponder it and explore what is it trying to, to explain. Um, the other piece, like I mentioned in musicals, it's feeling. In this case, it's maybe despair, right? It's like I'm going to, or, or lament, or emotion it's very emotional what's going to go on in the story so it's trying to draw us into the emotion so it wants to feel um also it, it expand on these concepts something that's going to remain with you uh this isn't just a short letter dear dear Lori, don't forget to buy milk at the grocery store love friend right it's gonna be like oh but the milk is gone and i suffer for lack of drink and you're like oh brother right but it savors, it thinks, it gives feeling. I just made up that stupid milk poem. So it's a terrible example. Don't use that. But they give emotion. They draw us in. They find meaning. And you can go back and continually find it. Okay? So this next chapter is a song. It's a poem. Now some have said it's an allegory. And, a, and some people have said it's a parable. Um, sure. Okay. Those all work too. Um, let's not get stuck on that. But uh, you're going to find that actually the Lord used this very story when he quoted it in Matthew in the parable of the vineyard and the wicked laborers. And he takes this exact story and he builds on it and twists it at the end. So this, sto this story is something that even the Lord knew and quoted it um, a few uh, hundred, about a thousand years later, for, or well, 700 years later from when Isaiah gave it. Okay, so this is worth your study. All right, let's just read the first few verses, and I want you to just listen to the story and see if you can imagine who's talking and what's going on. All right, so next, let's just jump right in. We've talked about kind of who, what, where, and how, and now let's jump into 2 Nephi 15. And then I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine. 
and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trotted down. And it, I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come upon briars and thorns. And I I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, and behold, opposition for righteousness, but behold, a cry. So if about one through six, I did one more verse, but one through six sounds like the poem. It's it's very short, actually. So it's like, what's going on? Well, you've got probably the prophet and the Lord talking, and they are saying, I, I made this beautiful vineyard and I supported it and it should bring forth grapes. And what happened to it? It brought forth wild grapes, which are crappy grapes. Um, I don't know much about grapes, but it's obviously those are bad. So it's a <laughs> you did not bring forth good fruit. And so he doesn't just leave it alone, but he tears down its protection, the hedge, right? And then he breaks down the wall so that it can be eaten and it can be trodden down and then he says, I'll even lay it waste. I'm not going to prune it or dig it. I'm not going to support it. I'm not. And out of it comes briars and thorns. Where have you heard the term briars and thorns? Yep. Garden of Eden. Okay. And then I will also command the clouds, no more rain. Like I'm not going to even bless it with uh, rain. And then that's it. So you're like, what? What happened? The Lord was making a vineyard and then it didn't give good fruit. And so he just, he, he didn't just abandon it. He just let it be completely torn and taken over. So we feel this lament, this passion that the Lord has, this sadness. I love I love the sentence in, in verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard than have I not done in it? So the Lord's talking. And then he's going to tell us the first section. He's going to say, who, who is the, the vineyard? Who is the who are who is he representing in this? And that's verse seven. He says, "For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant." Um, this is a story about judgment. Now we've talked about that theme over and over. He's saying these were my choice people. These were the chosen. These were the the house of Israel, and they they didn't bring forth good fruit. They didn't do right things. They weren't righteous. And he's like, what more could I have done? This isn't, he didn't abandon them. They abandoned him. Okay. So he's saying, what more could I have done? And so he's going to let it go down. Now, the next section are going to be a series of woes. You're going to see woes a little bit later, but they're just, um, we'll talk about those laments. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and I love it in Hebrew. Hoy, hoy, hoy. I think there are eight of them actually. So he goes through and really gives these terrible things that are going to come to pass. Now let's pause for a second. Let's go over what we know. It's emotional. The Lord is compassionate. He has made a covenant with his people and they have not kept the covenant. 
They said, what more could I have done? What more could I have done? Now, we've talked about it a little bit in the last few chapters, and he's going to talk about it even more. What have the people done that they've broken their covenant? Most of it is about wealth. They've been wealthy and idle. They have looked for power. They have pushed down the poor. This isn't them being poor, sad people. This is them being uh, not being humble, being full of pride, using their wealth to oppress others, build might. Um, there's nothing wrong with the military, but in this case, they're using the military to oppress others. This is not defending their rights. This is they're building chariots and horses for power and might and uh, dictatorships and things like that. So he's saying, look at what my people have done. Look at what they've done. They have abandoned their covenant by not showing forth righteous acts, not caring for the poor, the widow, and the immigrant, not showing humility to the Lord, not looking to the Lord, but to obeying other gods. This is things that have happened to them. So he's saying the, the people, the vineyard is the covenant people. Okay, deep breath. Now go forward into Nephi's time. Why is Nephi doing this? Have his people abandoned the covenant? Some. And we know how the story is going to end up. Yes, they will. So it's a warning to his people, but it's a warning to us too. We're the covenant people. And most of us are blessed with power and wealth and all these things. And he's saying, I love you guys. You're my covenant people. Stay humble. Look to me. Show justice to the poor. Help others. Remember the Lord in all things. Okay. So I think we're likening this to our day. We're likening this to the Nephites. And we're getting this same instruction from ancient Israel. Does that help you at all? Does that kind of help you bring forth this poem? Again, some of the same themes. Judgment. Covenant. The Lord. And then there's going to be hope. And we're going to find some of that in a minute. So that is kind of some basics, I think, for how we can try to understand this um, song in the vineyard. Now there's more. It's going to go on and it's going to uh, talk about, it really changes gears here in verse 7 or 8, but it's going to talk about the oppression of the righteous. It's going to talk about some of the things that have happened um, where ex things are going to be expensive, where people are going to become drunk and they're going to party all the time and where they're just going to uh, run themselves into the problems and then the woes. Woe unto them that do this. Woe unto them to do that. So it's kind of like the um, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is he. It's the opposite. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that mighty in drink and wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, just get drunk all the time. Woe unto those right? Woe unto these, woe unto those. So it's telling us how to avoid these things as covenant people. Um, so a great caution for us, and we're going to see more woes in the, f in the, in a few verses later. All right. So remember what we've learned. Poetry is used to bring emotion, make us consider and draw deeper language. Hebrew poetry is kind of short and uses a lot of parallels. They can deepen, they can contrast, they can make us think and ponder and consider. The Lord speaking often speaks in poetry so that we can, uh, the pro prophetic authors, so that we can savor and understand and deepen the meanings that are here. 
So that's the Song of the Vineyard in a very, very brief format. But take a look at 2 Nephi 15 and ask yourself, how can I understand more what the Lord's telling me as a covenant person? How much more can I do for my people? Can you feel his love? Can you feel the love he has for us as he's trying to welcome us home and help us become more righteous uh, through his son? All right, that's it. Next time we will hit uh, the Theophany and Second uh, Nephi 16, also known as Isaiah 6. All right, don't forget to share, uh, leave your comments, and help the channel grow. Don't forget to subscribe, and thanks everybody. Love you, brothers and sisters. Talk to you soon. Bye.